1: Slate's Working Podcast is brought to you by Braintree. Looking to set up payments for your business? Braintree gives your app or website a payment solution that accepts just about every payment method with one simple integration. Plus, we'll give you your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free. To learn more, visit braintreepayments.com working. And by Citrix GoToMeeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Try it free for 30 days by visiting gotomeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. That's gotomeeting.com. Try it free.
0: Welcome to Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. I'm Laura Anderson, a writer and editor for Slate. On today's episode, we talk with someone whose job is bridging the gap between executives and employees. What is your name and what do you do?
1: (sighs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to start with the hard questions. Uh, (laughs) My name is Kevin Fanning, and um, I work in recruiting and HR for a tech company in Cambridge, Massachusetts.
0: And this may sound like a dumb question, but what is the difference between recruiting and HR? Is recruiting like a subset of HR, or are they kind of seen as two different things?
1: It varies from organization to organization, but they are definitely two different things. Recruiting is often seen as a subset of HR, but um, in some organizations, it could be a completely sort of separate thing. Um, recruiting is more about sort of attracting and hiring people, and HR is much more about managing them and keeping them happy after, after they've been hired, and uh, a little more about sort of tending to the, the culture of the company okay. as opposed to adding to it.
0: So when you're having a conversation with someone, like if someone comes to your office and they have a problem, a problem with their coworkers or a problem with their boss, what are some of the most common issues that people bring to you? And what, like, how, how do you sort of approach that conversation and try to find a solution for people?
1: I find that when when someone comes to me with a problem, either it, like, it could be like something with a, a manager, it could be something with a coworker, something that bothered them, kind of irrespective of what the problem actually is, I often find that the solution or the advice that I'm giving almost 95% of the time is communicate, okay? Like, yes, you're complaining about this to me, but like why don't we actually talk about this with the person? Like, um, people sort of come to HR with like, I have this problem, can you fix it for me? Mm-hmm. And um, it's often my role to be like, no, you can fix this. Like it's 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 okay to talk to that person. It's okay to communicate to that person in a sort of like non-judgmental adult way about like your interaction and kind of process it together and kind of work on a solution together. So almost all of the kind of problems that I see working in tech companies and things like that is just like sort of getting people out of their heads and sort of like communicating directly with each other in kind of a more um, thoughtful manner.
0: Why do you think people have so much trouble with that? Like, why do you think they have to come to you and you have to tell them this very obvious thing, which is, yeah, you need to communicate with your coworkers instead of people just sort of getting it and doing it uh, on their own?
1: I think it's uncomfortable for people. I think, like, if someone has, like, a a difficult interaction or they're bothered by something, they recognize in the moment that if they were to respond right away, it would not be in a very helpful or thoughtful way. It would, like, maybe make things worse. And I think that um, people often come for me for, like, confirmation of, like, was it okay that this bothered me? Like, was, like, am I reading this wrong? Mm -hmm. Um, In sort of the world where I work with, like, startups and tech companies and things like that, it's a lot of, like, really young people. It's people who are maybe just out of school or they've only been out of, only been in the workplace for, like, a, a year or two. And, you know, they're really good at software engineering, they're really good at data analysis, but they're not as good at the sort of like more interpersonal stuff, the kind of soft skills, like how do I communicate my needs in a way that's respectful and doesn't, you know, make things worse by upsetting this person.
0: When there's a conflict and you are advising people to talk it out, are you in the room when this talking out is happening? Or do you tell people to go try to have a conversation on their own and then report back to you?
1: Yeah. I don't want to like insert myself into too many conversations unnecessarily. I want to sort of work with people to get them to have those be comfortable having those interactions on their own to, I guess, you know, make my life a little easier down the road, but also like make it more natural for them. Um, If it gets into a situation where like we have to have kind of like a three way conversation with me involved, that's a lot more awkward and feels like a lot more serious than it needs to be. If it's just like, hey, you did this thing. It bothered me. Like, can we like process that and maybe like work out something where that doesn't happen again? So I encourage people to just like, go have those conversations, and if it doesn't go well or something like uh, terrible happens, then like, I'm happy to get a little more involved. But, um, but that's, that's not um, how I primarily want things to go. Mm-hmm.
0: So what kind of training did you have to go through in order to become an HR professional, or is it just sort of like all on the job learning how to deal with people?
1: I didn't grow up thinking I want to grow up to be an HR manager. I didn't. It just sort of happened and it turned out that it was something that I was really interested in. So um, there are like degree programs now. There are certifications and things like that, but I never have been through any of that. It's been much more just like like learning from and being mentored by other HR professionals and a lot of just using my skills at like, you know, interacting with people and my desire for people to like get along and my desire to have a company that we work out where everyone, you know, gets their needs met That's just sort of the things that I rely on to do my job well.
0: Do you think that the degree programs that you said are currently being offered, do you think that they're useful or do you think that it really is just the kind of thing where you kind of just need to do it and learn by doing
1: it's still kind of early days for those. And I guess I'm, I'm a little skeptical about like how useful an undergraduate degree in HR is. I mean, sometimes I go to a career fair to school and I meet people who are like about to graduate and they're like, I really want to be in HR. And I'm just, and that could be true, but I'm always just like, really? Are you sure? Like, how do you know? Like you haven't even really worked in a, in a real job yet, or you've only had internships. Like, how do you know that that's what your passion is? And like, it could be true. You know, there must be people who, who that's true for. But um, to me, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I worked so many places where I had really negative interactions with HR people. So when I kind of like got more involved in it, I was like, oh, like, I've seen this go really horribly. This is like my learning opportunity. This is my like chance to like actually try to do this right for people, like in a way that it didn't happen for me. So I think that kind of experience, I think that kind of like sort of seeing like what workplaces are like have got to be like really valuable in factoring into your career and your your value as an HR person.
0: Can you describe some of the negative interactions that you had with HR people before you got into HR?
1: Early, early on in my career, many years ago, I had some interactions where I was having difficulty with a coworker or I was having sort of difficulty understanding like why the company was making certain decisions. And I remember situations where the HR person would be like, well, maybe you don't belong here. Maybe you should find a job somewhere else. And I was like, really? But I I thought I liked working here. And uh, so it was that kind of thing where I was like, wow, okay, well, I guess hey, maybe I don't belong at this company if that's sort of how we treat our employees. That and just also, seems I like think I could one, do this better.
0: That seems like the one thing that an HR person should just never say is like, maybe you don't belong here.
1: Well, and it's it's kind of a factor of how organizations are set up. I mean, I think of HR as being part of this thing that they they, they call people operations, but it's like about how do we keep people motivated and happy and like working to the best of their ability and, and sort of engaged in their work. But depending on the the, the work of the company depending on the, the structure of the organization HR can take on a lot of different types of um, kind of flavors I guess my career early on started out in um, a university which is just a like you know a huge organization with hierarchies within hierarchies and that was a much more sort of administrative role where you were playing like you're just like sort of taking paper from one pile and kind of like trying to get it into another pile like as much as you could each day it really wasn't about very much interaction um, with people and it's also so sort of a factor of kind of like the structure of how the companies are set up. Like, uh, I, I, in my current role, um, report up through the CEO of the company. So that sort of means that HR becomes, like, very much about the people and sort of um, getting them to be as effective as they can at their jobs. A lot of companies, this, the HR is a subset of the financial part of the organization. They may report up through the CFO, which automatically makes HR more about, like, money and dollars and the cost of the people and how, what can we do to reduce and contain costs. And, like, immediately you can see that, like, it takes on a very different shade. Like, that's a very different sort of set of um, interactions that you're going to have with those HR professionals.
0: Do you see people in your company who are kind of wary of you or wary of HR in general because they think that maybe – you are mostly concerned about containing costs or because maybe they've also had bad experiences with HR in the past. Like, do you, do you find yourself overcoming mistrust and uh, people who who aren't really that interested in opening up to you?
1: I don't very much. I mean, I think I'm kind of like lucky in that I have um, like a lot of people who are like right out of school. And this is one of their first experiences, like working in a company so that I am It's much more easy for me to sort of like gain their trust and sort of for them to see that my role in the organization is to like be the person on the executive staff who is most accessible to them, the person whose door is always open, the person who's not in meetings because he's worried about deadlines and like money and things like that. But the person whose sole job is to be there for people to address concerns with or get advice from and things like that. So I'm I'm really blessed, especially in my current job. I have um, I'm able to sort of like have a reputation as someone who is not terrible and is not Sort of there to make life difficult for you.
0: This episode of Working is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy mobile payments. Maybe you're working on the next Uber, Airbnb, or GitHub. Then why not use the same simple payment solution that helped them become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless, it's almost magical. Add it to your app with just a few lines of code, and you're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, we'll support that too. Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support means you'll always be ready, whether you're earning your first dollar or your billionth. See fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best-in-class mobile checkout experience. To check it out for yourself, visit braintreepayments.com working. So you said part of your job is, or part of your title even, is um, is culture. You're sort of in charge of making your workplace a good place to work with, like, a, a positive culture that people enjoy. And to me, that seems like... Well, maybe just like overly optimistic to think that that is something that can be within a company's control. I guess I feel like culture is something that happens organically when you get a whole bunch of people together and it depends on their personalities and it depends on you know what motivates them. So can you talk to me a little bit about that aspect of your job and like how you actually influence the culture of your company?
1: yeah I, I mean I share your concerns. I think it's like something that um, I think a lot of companies may take kind of like a top down approach to culture and almost view HR is kind of like your CEO of happiness or something like that, where it's like today we're going to do this and tomorrow we're doing trust falls and we're building team exercises and we're like going to go do this uh, thing tomorrow that I think I I read in a magazine that will be fun for us. And that kind of like top down approach to culture where it's like here's what we're going to do next. Here's what we're going to do next. That's very inorganic. It doesn't end up being very fun for the people and it doesn't really sort of add to the, the real culture of the company in any kind of meaningful way, I don't think. So my I view my role as sort of like really kind of encouraging teams and groups within the organization to to do the things that they want to do, to sort of like help define the culture in the ways that they can. It's difficult in sort of the startup tech world because like you start out as a small company and there's like maybe, you know, 20 or 30 of you and everyone is kind of contributing equally to the culture. You're all doing stuff together. Somebody has an idea about like, hey, it'd be cool if we like, uh, you know, went bowling after work, like you organize the thing, you're going bowling, it's fun, like whatever. That's, That's very easy. But as the company grows scales, it becomes very difficult for that sort of Company-wide culture to scale with it, and as the, as teams get more diverse um, and hierarchies get more complicated, it's been my role to kind of encourage the culture, sort of at the team level, almost if that makes sense. Like, sort of making sure that like managers are doing fun things with their teams, and making sure that there's kind of surprises for employees and like interesting things happening, so that um, so that not every day is the same. So I don't come to work thinking, "Here's what we're going to do to the culture today." I come to work like ready to listen and like be open to ideas and try to figure out like how can we kind of um, get people's needs met like with all these sort of like crazy ideas that they want to do for things that would be fun for the company like what are the things that are like achievable and what were the things that would be kind of the most fun for everyone
0: at what stage in a startup's development do you think they should hire someone who handles hr or have an actual hr department
1: i was employee number 15 at my current company and i was actually um surprised that they um, had hired me so early on in the sort of company's um, lifetime. But like in retrospect, I think it was a really smart idea because everything was still so new. There wasn't a lot of processes. There wasn't a lot of, there was just a lot of sort of room to kind of create the culture and kind of like, like sort of like make the company what we wanted it to be and sort of like try to define it in, in the ways that we wanted. Um, I think like by the time a company gets to 50, it really needs a dedicated HR person. And, um, and beyond that, it's like, it's really pushing it.
0: Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the process of, of firing people and how involved you are and sort of what, sort of what your checklist is when you have to let someone go in terms of making it as positive a process as possible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, firing people is really, it's really, really difficult. And, um, it's I guess it's kind of the thing that you get better at the more you do it, which is but it's kind of like a bummer. Like you don't really want to ever get like super good at it, but I guess you want to get like good at it enough that um it goes as smoothly as possible for all the employees affected because it is really difficult. It's really stressful and it's um super super not fun for anybody involved. My thing with um letting people go is that the worst case scenario is that it's a surprise to someone. Like someone comes in someday and like their manager is like, I've had it, I can't take it anymore. Like that person is going to get fired. And it's like, I've seen that happen in organizations where it's just like, all right, we're just getting rid of this person. And it's like, you can't do that. Like that's not good for your company. That's not good for um, the employee who is affected. That's not good for the other employees who are left behind because it sort of creates this like a culture of like fear, like, oh my God, am I next? So it's really important for me for there to be like a framework for, um, I guess firing or like what they often call like managing people out my thing personally is like if you're a manager and you come into my office and you're like oh like this person I can't believe like this person on my team did this thing like okay that 's fine you 're venting in my office that 's okay. If you come back a second time and you 're venting about that person again then i 'm going to like start asking questions about like what 's really behind that what 's going on there and if it happens a third time then you 're not leaving my office without creating some kind of performance improvement plan for that employee so we can sort of like set objective goals like here 's what you need to do you know in this time frame in order to sort of like prove that you 're committed to the team and capable of doing the work and on board with the, you know the mission and all that kind of stuff um, that way by the time it actually gets to a point where that person needs to be fired. There's paperwork. There's a record of conversations. There's like a history of setting goals so that that person I, in an ideal situation like is well aware of what's going to happen that day when they come into the office.
0: How often do you have to deal with firing people?
1: Not very often, uh, luckily. Um, a few, I mean, it happens every so often. I think I've only had... Um, one time in my career where I had to deal with like a real kind of like mass layoff situation where it was like the organization was just like had to had to lose like 100 people or something like that. And it was just like a whole day of telling people that it was going to be their last day because oh of like changes to the organization. It was it was awful. And it's it's bad because you're the one delivering this news. You had nothing to do with the decision. You just have to be the one to kind of implement it. And you have to sort of like explain to people like here's the next steps for you. Like here's what's going to happen. And and like, they're so shell shocked and they're so angry and they understandably like vent that at you. And it sucks. Like, you don't want to be firing them. You don't want to have that conversation with them. But you also want to do as much as you can for them. You want to give them as much information they can. Like, how are your benefits going to work? How does unemployment work? Like, what can we do to like help you network and find another job? Like, there's so much that you that you want to try to do for people. But it's it's just a it's just a really terrible conversation to be having.
0: This week's episode of Working is also brought to you by Citrix GoToMeeting. Think about the time, money, and hassle it takes to hold a meeting. You have to get a bunch of people into the same room or on the same phone line. Usually there's like five minutes of trying to get everyone all on the same page so that you can actually start talking. So my recommendation is to meet your clients and coworkers online with Citrix GoToMeeting. It's a smarter way to meet. GoToMeeting makes it easy to meet with your team whenever you need to and wherever you are. You can just turn on your webcam, and with HD quality, it's like being in the same room. You can share screens to present, review, and get feedback in real time. Because with GoToMeeting, everyone sees what you're seeing, so your team can get on the same page and get going. To sign up for GoToMeeting, you can try it free for 30 days. You have nothing to lose. You just visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. Do it now and have your first meeting up and running in minutes. That's GoToMeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. So you are, as you said, the sort of layer of communication between executives and employees. What are some of the main things that you've seen executives just sort of like fundamentally misunderstand about their employees or just sort of like employee concerns that executives just don't really intuitively get?
1: One of the things that I've seen is executives who don't really understand their power to Affects the mood of the company or the morale of the people. I remember I had one job where um, there had been some firings, there had been some like some stuff in the marketplace that had like really affected like profits and things like that, and just the mood at the company was really really low and it was sort of around the holiday season and just like everyone was sort of like kind of like dragging around work and I remember I had a a conversation with the CEO where he was just like really beaten down he's like I don't know what to do like you know everything I don't know what to say to the company like everything is terrible and blah 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 and I was like you know I think like the next company meeting like it would just be really great if you would just like say that like you really appreciate everyone just like say that you're really proud of the hard work they're doing like acknowledge that things are hard and difficult right now but that like you appreciate them any did. And like, that was like huge to me. It was like, he said that he got up in front of the company and he said like, I really appreciate what you're doing. I'm like, sorry, things are difficult right now. We're going to work together to figure stuff out. I like value like everyone's hard work and people need to hear that feedback. Like, and they need it pretty regularly. Like you can't just assume that people understand that they're valued or appreciated. Like you really need to give verbal respect to people in that way and um and I've seen that in a few different organizations and it has such such a big impact on the people.
0: And so then the other way around what do you think employees misunderstand about their bosses the executives and the managers? I think it's just
1: often, at any organization, it's often really difficult to connect the work that you're doing on a day-to-day basis, sitting at your desk, with with the vision and the stuff that people are talking about at the executive level. Because it's their job to, like, not really be thinking about today, but to be thinking about, like, where are we three months from now? How do we get to where we need to be six months from now, a year from now? And often, sort of, I think what's frustrating for for the employees, for the staff, is, like, the, the sort of communication of the vision of like how is the work that I'm doing relevant to the stuff that you're talking about for, for next year and that's it's a really sort of like it's something that really needs to be explicit and something that really sort of takes like a continual kind of attention to because it's easy to lose sight of that stuff when you're like, you know, you're just sort of buried in work day after day and like you have like things that you're doing but you're not sure like what it all means sometimes and um, sort of one of the things like it's really important for managers to just like really help their employees see why what they're doing matters like however like small it seems or however like insignificant it seems like what they're talking about in their like quarterly earnings call or whatever like there's a reason why that person is employed there and there's a reason why we're paying them to do that work. And sort of making sure they understand what that is, is, is hugely valuable to the organization.
0: Do you think it's possible to have a good company culture, even if people don't necessarily like each other and don't really like want to spend time socializing, but they're all good at what they do and, you know, they're adults and so they, they work together anyway? Or do you think that a real like affection and bond is an important part of a healthy workplace?
1: I think a real bond is important. I mean, I think that um, I've worked with, in organizations where people were technically competent, but nobody really talked to each other or liked each other and just kind of came in, had their heads down, put their headphones on, got their work done, and then left. I think there's probably a lot of places like that, and they probably thrive, but I don't think that's like, what a company should strive for. I think that um, you spend a lot of time with these people, and you should um, at least try to create a place where people like each other. I I think that people interacting with each other, communicating with each other, enjoying working together, doing things together, that's only going to make the the work that the company does stronger.
0: How do you balance out wanting to create that kind of culture that you're describing where people like actually sort of have things in common and enjoy one another's company with wanting to have a diverse workplace? Because I know that an issue in many fields is that people hire within their social networks. And so they end up just like hiring people who look like them and who come from different from the same kind of background instead of hiring people from a variety of backgrounds. So is that something that you think about actively when you're, you know, in hiring situations? And sort of how do you balance out those two um, competing concerns?
1: this is why I often tend to think about things sort of like at a team level more than a company level. But I think that um, diversity is really important. I've I've worked for companies where there was like all white dudes and no women and no people of color of any kind. And that's not the kind of company that I want to work for. And increasingly, it's not the kind of company that really anybody wants to work for. And I think that, um, I don't think that like having fun together and like diversity are like mutually exclusive or anything like that. I think that there's, um, I think when you're working with a team of people i think it's important for them to kind of like generate ideas for like the things that they want to do the things that they want to define their culture um and then for the company to kind of implement them i don't think that there's um as the company gets more diverse it gets more difficult for there to be something about the culture that um is is fun or that people appreciate about working there
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this podcast. You can email us at working at slate.com and dig through our first four seasons at slate.com slash working. This episode was produced by Jason DeLeon. Our senior producer is Mike Vuolo, and our executive producer is Andy Bowers. I'm Laura Anderson. See you next time on Working.